0: All right, open in your bibles. You lower this just a pinch, right? Thanks. To John chapter 1. And we're actually going to look at the first 3 verses and then we're going to skip over to verse 14 to 18. So that's John's gospel. Chapter 1. Do the first few verses and then we'll skip down to 14. Give everybody a chance to get there. It's John chapter 1. Let's stand together for the reading of God's authoritative, inerrant word. Hear the word of God to you this morning. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Let's go down to verse 14. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who was at the Father's side, has made him known. This ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated my brothers and sisters in Christ. Matthew and Luke start their Gospels off with genealogies, the human genealogy of Jesus, going way back. And then they give us details surrounding the birth of Jesus. That's Matthew and and Luke. Mark starts his Gospel off right from from the beginning of Jesus' ministry as an adult. So he skips right to it. Goes right to Jesus' ministry because he's speaking to Romans. And his whole gospel is very brisk. Boom, 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 boom. A lot of actions. But Then we come to the gospel of John. And John is truly the theologian par excellence when it comes to the four gospels, writers. And he goes even further back. He goes, as it were, behind the veil into eternity past where only God is. Way at the beginning. You know, it's that mind-boggling, John is going to hit us with like some mind-boggling truth In in the space of a few verses, he's going to say things that are going to literally blow our minds. You know, his children will ask, but then where did God come from? John is going to tell us he always was, he's eternal. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. So we're going to get that glimpse behind the curtain. Now, I want to say something about this. We all know if we eat too much, we get fat. You with me? If we don't eat enough, we get too skinny and people worry about us. So that means we got to eat somewhere in the middle. We got to try to eat enough. And some people are kind of like with the food. They're like that spiritually. They study theology too much. All they want to do is talk about it, think about it 24-7, and they, they kind of are never in the real world. We want to say, hello? <whistles> How about doing something about it? But then there are other people that don't have any patience at all, that don't ever want to look into the mysteries of our religion, as it were. And they need to sometimes step back and say, hey, you need to think about eternity. You need to know about the God in whom you say you worship, you serve, and you believe in. And so John is like, when he writes his gospel, he's like under a big shady tree. I remember hearing that when I was first saved. And he's pondering the things of eternity and the things of our eternal God. And so we get, as we worship Christ this Christmas season, we're going to take a look at behind the scenes, behind the veil as it were, and we're going to see God, the Father and Son, the Word who was with God and who was God. And then we're going to take a look at verse 14, because that very God, God the Son, who was with God the Father for all eternity, that God, okay, so that God is the same God who became one of us, who became flesh. So here's what we have to see here that's really interesting. We're going from the mind-boggling truth of the Trinity, that God is three persons in one essence. Talk about poof, To the next mystery that's just as equally hard to digest and, and fathom for us who are finite creatures, and that is the infinite God became one of his creation. Became a human being. That is what C.S. Lewis calls the grand miracle. God become flesh. That's what we worship every Christmas season. That is what we come together to give glory for, for him leaving heaven's glory to become one of us. Luther put it this way, the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. What we cannot understand with our minds, we embrace with our hearts. After all, I always love what Isaiah says, to whom will you compare me, God says. There's no one. He's the infinite God. And so we're going to see this morning is simply this. Jesus, the eternal, creative, life-giving word. Three things we're going to see. I, I mean, this passage was so rich, I had to try to narrow it down. It was hard. But we're going, to, we're going to pick on only three things this morning. We're going to take a look at three things. He became flesh for us. He was witness to for us. And he revealed God to us. we're going to see some of those things, when you just hear them at face value, you're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. But as we get into this text, we're going to see the implications of these truths, and they really are life-altering. And they're very radical, especially as we look at the culture we live in today. You're going to see this same old truth, ain't so same old. It's profound, and it has great implications for us who say we're followers of Jesus, who claim the name Christian. It's going to be important. So let's take a look at the first one. The first one is, he became flesh for us. Look at verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The reason I read the first three verses of John, in first, uh, John chapter 1, is because obviously he's picking up from the word theme that he started in, chap- in verses 1, 2, and 3. Now he is explicitly for the first time telling us that word, who was with God and who was God, that word came and tabernacled. That's the word, the literal word. He tabernacled with us. So John is clearly identifying Jesus as God the Son. And here's the the really interesting thing he says here. It's it's astonishing when you think about it. Nothing that has been created has been created without him. That's an astounding claim. (laughs) It's a powerful claim. When you think about it this way, the word of God who was with God in the beginning and who was God now is with man, dwells with man in the flesh. He humbled himself. He took upon himself this flesh that's weak, that's frail. And he did this, as the creed says, for us men and for our salvation. Remember that great hymn, Hark! The Herald Angels Sing? Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. After all, if he's Emmanuel, and we know what that word means, that name means, it means God with us. Jesus is literally the almighty God, the creator of the universe with us. Someone once said, the word didn't become a philosophy, didn't become a theory or a concept to be discussed, debated, or pondered, but the word became a person to be followed, enjoyed, and loved. And John would add, and to be believed on. That's the whole purpose of John's gospel. And so that you would know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ. And that you would believe that. And in believing, you would have life in his name. That's the purpose of this. As a matter of fact, that's the purpose of all four Gospels. John is just very explicit in telling you why he wrote what he wrote. He wants you to be saved. You get that? He wants you to come into a living relationship with the God who made you through the only one who can do that for you, and that's Jesus. You're going to see, he's going to start meddling here in a moment. Jesus became flesh. That is God at a point in time in history, even though he was always God, he took on flesh and bone. He took on, now here's the thing, I want you to see this, and this is profound. Um, I've mentioned this before to some of us, but some of you may have not heard me mention this. Did you ever realize that the incarnation is irreversible? You know what that means? That means Jesus will have a body for all eternity now. He is one of us forever and ever. There's no reversing that. Jesus is both God and man forever. And that means we will always, if you trust in him, you will always have that representative before God. Pleading your case. You'll always be connected to God. You'll always have... Um, him as a representative for redeemed humanity and think about what you have to understand which is so awesome about this and it's not disrespectful because hebrews says this he is our elder brother he is our mediator he is our messiah he is our savior he is our master he is our lord but listen he loves us so much that he became one of us I don't know about you, but so often I give up on our race. Sometimes I say, I cannot believe the things we do to one another. I can't believe worse than that. I can't believe the things I do. And yet, Jesus shows his hands. He shows his side. He shows his feet to the Father and says, Don't let that ransomed sinner die. The Son of God became man so that we could become sons of God. Meditate on that one. The Son of God became man so that we could become sons of God. Every other religion is a way to try to climb up to God. Christianity is God's way of coming down to us and saving us. text here says he tabernacled tabernacled with us, and that is supposed to be reminiscent. You're supposed to think of the Old Testament, where in the tabernacle, God's people would come to see his glory, the Shekinah glory. And what John is saying, this is powerful for the next point that's made in this text here. What's powerful here is John is saying, we saw the Shekinah glory. And John is saying, where do we see this? It wasn't at some stone temple. We saw it in the person of Jesus Christ. We saw the glory of God. We ate with him. We heard him teach. We saw him heal. We saw him give sight to the blind. We saw him raise the dead. We saw the glory of God pitched his tent among us in the person of Jesus. We've seen the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So the word became flesh for us And the second thing, it's a brief point, but it's an important point because John wants us to know it. And that is, he was witness to for us. In other words, look again with me at verse 14. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Boy, that's a tongue twister he who comes after me has surpassed me because he comes before me. Now, I got to say, forgive me for being silly, but when I read that, I think, right, that's what kind of hits my mind. But what John is acknowledging is, this one who comes after me because I'm preparing his way, he's before me. John's acknowledging verses one to three. He always was. He's eternal. He's the one. I don't know that John even completely understood what he was saying, but he prophesied that. Here we have to see, notice what John the Apostle says here, we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. In other words, first-hand eyewitness is very important for establishing truth in the Bible. Remember in the Bible, at least by two or three witnesses, things are established. Well, we have many, many witnesses who actually saw Jesus, who lived with Jesus, who witnessed the things he did. 1 John chapter 1, 1 and following. Listen to this. That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Listen, why is this important? It's important because our faith is based on solid, credible, first-hand eyewitnesses. If you ever want to establish anything that happened, you need to go ask the people who were there. So I love when these liberal theologians write commentaries. Well, we're not, John, I don't know if this happened. I don't know. Who cares what you think? You weren't there. I want to know what saith the witnesses, the people who ate with him, who saw him. Bible talks about 500 of the brothers saw Jesus after he rose. That's a little more than two or three. And it's interesting, I mentioned earlier about why John wrote his Gospels, chapter 20, verse 31. He says, these things are written, in other words, this testimony that he's given to us, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. And notice who they testified to. (laughs) The one and only. The one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And it's this last point that... You may have been falling asleep up to this point, but I think this last point is going to wake you up and you're going to want to rewind the tape. Because what I'm about to or we don't have tapes today, you're going to somehow digitally rewind things. Because the implications of it is where the punchline is in our culture today, and it's very controversial. You wouldn't think it would be. It's thousands of years old. But it's very controversial. And the last thing is this. He became flesh for us. He, wit- he was witness to for us. And here's the biggie. He revealed God to us. Say, okay, well, let's look at it. Verse 16. From the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only who was at the Father's side, has made him known. Now listen, that's a super important point. Why is it important? Because the old covenant people, the Jews, would say, whoa, 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 what do you mean no one has ever seen God? We have Moses. And Moses is the biggie in the Old Testament. Excuse me. Moses, after all, is God's prophet. Hasn't he revealed God to us? Why do we need more? That would be a big question. And the answer my brothers and sisters, is this. There is one infinitely greater than Moses. And Moses, through Moses came the law. That's a good thing. The law is holy. But here's the bad thing about it. The law can only break down. The law cannot build up. The law can only wound. It cannot heal. The law can only shatter your self-righteousness, but it cannot give you a righteousness that you need to stand before a holy God. The law can point out to you, you are unable to please God perfectly. You fail daily. That's what the law says. Read the Ten Commandments and see how perfectly you obey them. My favorite saying, you guys should be able to have this memorized, and I hope you will use it when you witness if you're going to try to get to know God and to be saved by God through the law, then you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and your neighbor as you love yourself, every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year, for the rest of your life. Good luck with that. The law as good as it was, coming through Moses as holy and as great of a prophet he is, isn't enough. And that's why God had to send his son. Because Jesus came full with what? Grace and truth. And you know what grace is? Grace is unearned, unmerited favor. It's what you cannot do for yourself. You cannot earn. You cannot pay back what you owe God. You pull out your pockets and they're empty and you go, ugh. Notice Jesus is the source of, he's full of it, and he's the giver of it, and that is grace. And the beauty of Jesus, so different than most people, probably all people in a sense, that he has the perfect balance of grace and truth. Listen, I know people who are all into the truth. Start meddling a little bit. They're going to tell it like it is, right? Right? I'm from Jersey. Yeah, but they're like a bull in a china cabinet. They uh, know what I like to say? They have the compassion of a starving lion. Yeah, think that one through a little bit. But then there are other people who talk about grace, 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 but they never can quite get around to telling you the truth you need to hear so that your life can change and you can get rid of some things that are destructive, Right? but Jesus is full full of both full of grace he's good he's kind he's merciful and he enables you to do the things that he calls you to do and he's filled with truth Jesus is going to tell you the truth even when it hurts listen if you want to know what a true friend is a true friend isn't just somebody remember that sandlot yeah 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 there's a kid they called him yeah yeah because that's all they ever did yeah 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 Or a yes man, like people say, don't get on your session when you have elders, don't get a yes man. I don't want an elder who's just going to rubber stamp anything, any weird idea I come up with. I want a friend who's going to say, Sam, I love you and all, but have you ever thought about this? And then I got to go, oh man, you're right. Well, Jesus is filled with both grace and truth. But here's the interesting thing here. It's only going to go deeper from here. I'm going to get myself deeper in trouble as I go. But it's only because I'm clinging to what he says in his word here. He says, listen to what John says, no one has ever seen God. Hmm. Now we just read a passage earlier in Exodus 33 for our prep for worship. Talks about Moses and Moses meeting with God. But if you noticed in the text, we're not going to go back and read it for time's sake, but we did read it earlier. If you notice, God says, I cannot show myself fully to you because no one can see me and what? Live. Live. There's no way you can handle me, God is saying. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Moses. We'll put you in a cleft in the rock, and I'm going to show you my back, basically. I'm going to show you a little bit of my back, my glory. And I'm going to pass by. And then he, he passes by with, oh, you know, I am the God of compassion, right? Compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in, in loving kindness. But even Moses didn't get to see God. Dick Luce, Lucas puts it this way. I like the way he puts it. No one, not even him, will be able to see God completely as God. So he has an absolute knowledge, a complete knowledge of the Almighty And Moses gets a fleeting glimpse of that glory. So it does seem from that statement and many others that the manifestations of the Almighty God in the Old Testament did not and could not reveal God's essential being. They were glimpses of glory, which is to say they were partial and incomplete revelations. John the Baptizer is just a mere witness. Moses for all of his revelation was incomplete. How much more? Let me let me say this how much more is if, if those all those folks couldn't reveal God to us, certainly all the gurus today and people in the past who claim special knowledge of God can't reveal God to us. You with me? No, the one person who can reveal God perfectly to us is God come visit us in the flesh. Why? Because he's been there. (laughs) Because he's with the Father from all eternity. He says, oh, you want to know about the Father? Look at me. Remember later, Philip said, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, have I been with you this long? Like, what in the world? He says, anyone who has seen me has seen who? The Father. Why? Because Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. If you've seen him, he and the Father. And then he says, I and my Father are what? One. And he doesn't mean like husband and wife are united. He says, no, 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 no. We are one. And don't forget, later on, John's Gospel, come all those huge statements that Jesus makes, like this one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Some people, no. No one comes to the Father but by me. No one. Now, it tells us in the the Greek word here that he has made made him known, made God known. And the Greek word in the English is he has exegeted God. Now, for those of us who study in seminary, that means just as we talk about exegeting the scriptures, interpreting it, Jesus exegetes the Father. (laughs) And he does so infallibly to us. Now, you may disagree with a preacher's interpretation, you may disagree with a commentator, but you may not disagree with God's Son. Jesus has made God known, he has left heaven to become one of us, and that means we cannot claim ignorance. It's important. We can't use false humility and say, well, we just can't know. Jesus says we can know. You can know in me. So that means we have to say no to agnosticism, and we also have to say no to relativism. John Stott says this, The respectful acceptance of the diversity of cultures does not imply the acceptance of the diversity of religions. The richness of each particular culture should be appreciated, but not the idolatry which may lie at the heart. For we cannot tolerate any rivals to Jesus Christ, believing as we do that God has spoken fully and finally through him. And he's the only Savior who died and rose again and will one day come to judge the world. Listen. This is why, remember I said earlier you're going to be like, God, oh, we know all this? What you have to understand is, this God in eternity past, Father and Son, and then John later reveals to us the Spirit in uh, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. That very same God from eternity past is the God that every human being will someday meet in judgment. I knew I'd wake you up because there's implications to that. I'm thankful this um, past week, I believe it was, Dave was able to go I wasn't able to go. I had another appointment. But Dave was able to go with a joint meeting of religious leaders here in Atlantic City, Muslim, um, Jewish, Christian, and I think there were others represented too, right? And the purpose of the meeting, and I wholeheartedly agree with this, is to say that we don't judge a whole group of people because of what some wicked people do in their name. And the fact is, and, and many, even Muslim uh, the Muslim leader stood up and said, hey, we have differences. We're not coming here to say that we all believe the same thing. But we should be treating one another as fellow human beings and not singling each other out, especially not for violence. That's wrong. Agree with that one million percent. And the Bible, as, as one of the Christian leaders there put it, and this is the way I would have put it too, the Bible agrees with that because we're all made in the image of God. We all have dignity. And we're all, and Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. He even says, love your enemies. But here's the difference we do not agree that we all worship the same God. We don't. God came in the person of Jesus. And through Jesus now, your eternal destiny depends on what you will do with the one true God's one and only son. Now a choice has to be made. Now you will repent and believe, or otherwise you will face him. It won't be someone else. And as, as because we do love our neighbors, because we are placed here in Atlantic City, is very important to us. We will lovingly serve folks from all creeds, races. But if we really love them, as we have opportunity, we will warn them. There is a judgment day, and the one who's going to be standing there will be the Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who took on flesh and bones. Listen, here's what's important to see. Anselm, he's an old church father. I think he was middle ages maybe. But he said this, Since no one except God can make satisfaction for our sins, and no one except man ought to make it, It is necessary for a God-man to make it. I'm going to close with this. Listen. In other words, when mankind sinned against God, we brought upon ourselves a God-shaped problem that we could not fix. You get that? Because this is why we couldn't fix it. The wages of sin is what? Death. So the only way to fix it The only thing we could do is pay that penalty, which is not a good prospect. But on the other hand, so that means only God can save us. But here's the problem with that. God didn't sin. Right? So the only thing possible, since a human has to be the one to pay for it, this is what God did in his love. And we tell all our neighbors, all our friends, this great gospel truth. God did what we could not do because we're sinful. By becoming one of us and taking upon himself the judgment that we deserve. That's why Jesus is sui generis. He's one of a kind. No one else claimed to be God in terms of all these world religions, Jesus said before Abraham, I am. Jesus claimed to be the one. So Christmas, we need to remember that there is one way. And that's what we worship every Christmas, is that God, in his love, sent his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life listen my brothers and sisters if you believe the positive you have to believe the negative i'm the way the truth the life that's the positive most people have a problem with that but no one comes to the father but by me that's the negative this Christmas, let's remember we have great tidings of great joy. Let's spread it unashamedly with our heads held high, not because we're righteous, but because God loved us so much he became one of us and then took our sins on the cross. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you would Take on flesh and blood, that you would take upon yourself the sins of your people, that you would be the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be right with the Father once again. Thank you that you earned a place for us in glory, that if it was up to ourselves and if it was left to us to save ourselves, we would have no place at your table. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one that's full of grace and truth. And Lord, we're willing to take the persecution. We're willing to take the stigma. We're willing to take whatever comes because we will maintain that truth until you bring us to yourself in glory. Thank you most of all for opening our hearts so that we would welcome you in gladly through faith and repentance and find the life that only you can give. We pray it all in your name, Jesus. Amen.